Tapping the keg daily is live for Monday. It is September 11th. We are talking about the Green Bay Packers' big win over the Chicago Bears. We will go over why nothing has changed. The Packers still own the Bears and a promise of a new era. We will also get into golden kegs. We will get into why this Brewers weekend was a success, even with the disaster of Sunday. And then lastly, we will talk about the Badgers' loss to Washington State and why expectations need to change. Uh, So we'll get into all of that today. It is a loaded show. It is a packed show. Uh, Excited to bring it to you. Uh, We are on social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports, Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook. Make sure that you are liking our reviews. I posted a review on Instagram for the first time in a long time. So make sure that you're getting in on that. If you're not already on Instagram, what are you doing? I would love, I would love to have it. I uh, would love to hear from you, uh, as I just heard from somebody on Twitter. Uh, so you know, it's it, it never stops. Uh, but yeah, make sure you're following along. Uh, we are on uh, Spotify, Apple, Podbay, wherever else you get your podcast. Overcast. I know we actually have a lot of listeners that listen on Stitcher, and Stitcher's gone. And we're on a lot of different places. So if you are misplaced on Stitcher, uh, we do we should be everywhere. So make sure that you look for us. Uh, if we're not there, reach out to me. I'm always available. Uh, you can DM me on Twitter. You can DM me on Instagram. You could probably DM me on TikTok too. Uh, I doubt you would do that. But if you wanted to, um, that would be a way to do it. Facebook also. Uh, but yeah, so if you are misplaced because of Stitcher, I probably should have said this two weeks ago when Stitcher uh, went away, but still, doesn't matter. Uh, Make sure that you guys are subscribed. If you already are, drop this in the group chat, man. I know a lot of people are gonna be talking about the Green Bay Packers. I think that we have a unique spin on it. I also think that we will give time to the the Brewers, we'll give time to the Badgers, and it's not just going to be 100% on the Packers. And I think everybody will wanna talk about Packers, but you have to talk about the other stuff too. And the other stuff's important. And we can't just ignore that. So drop it in a group chat if you have people who haven't listened. Uh, for those who might be checking it out from the Fant Wedding, shout out to you guys. Uh, make sure that you're checking us out on a regular basis. And hopefully uh, episode one of your listening experience is not your last one. All right, let's get into the show and talk about the domination of the Green Bay Packers against the Chicago Bears and goddamn does that feel good to say? The Green Bay Packer fans were waiting for this one. I think the Green Bay Packers were waiting for it as well. Uh, there was a quiet confidence that I think both the players on the field and the fans off the field had about this game. The Bears and their fans talked a bunch of shit. Uh, they were all about how much they hate Green Bay. They were all about how Justin Fields was going to take this leak leap and Packer fans engaged but there was kind of this, okay, we'll see. Almost like, uh, all right, you sure you want to do this? And then the classic meme of fucking around and find out was exactly what the we'll see was all about with the Green Bay Packers thumping the Bears in the second half and derailing that hype train in a quarter. What the Green Bay Packers did in that second half was truly impressive stuff from them. I thought that in the first half, it was not necessarily exactly what we wanted to see out of the Green Bay Packers, right? Uh, It was 
kind of back and forth and it, it really was sloppy and a lot went wrong. And a friend of mine took a bit from somebody else and asked to describe the first half in a GIF and I gave the Larry David A. I think it's after the Palestine chicken episode. Uh, that is exactly how I felt about the Green Bay Packers at that moment because I just didn't know, right? I, I think it could have went in a hundred different directions in the second half. I will say that I don't really think I had blowing out the Chicago Bears as one of them. I'm not going to say bingo card because that is way overused. That is in the category of masterclass uh, as something that just gets absolutely overused by every single person on social media or with podcasts. But no, I, I did not expect Packers to just come out and blow the fucking doors off the Bears, off, blow the doors off the Bears on the road. Like I did not see that as one of the potential options because I think that it, it, it just would take time. Like that... I thought I was confident the Packers could win this game. I thought that they were, you know, undervalued in terms of what Vegas had them as a one-point underdog. But still, I never could have seen like a double-digit blowout from the Packers. I thought it was possible, but I it was kind of one of those things that was just in the best possible way that this goes. And this is the best possible way. And this is what you all hope for. We all kind of wanted this. We all wanted that it seemed to be a seamless transition from the old Packers, the Aaron Rodgers of Packers, to now the Jordan Love Packers, where nothing really changes in terms of the matchup with the Chicago Bears. And that's something that it, it's just refreshing in a weird way. Uh, it's like it, that, that it's, it's staying the same. And that you start off 1-0 for the first time in forever uh, is just a great feeling uh, as a Packer fan because that has not been the norm. Besides the COVID year, Green Bay has really struggled out of the gates uh, the last couple of years. And they didn't this year, especially in that second half where they looked extremely crisp and composed. And after Aaron Jones decided to get the football in the second half, all things were gravy. I mean, that second half performance from Aaron Jones before he hurt his hamstring. Now, Jones said he could have came back in. It was more of the score that kept Aaron Jones out uh, was really the difference. And also Jordan Love remaining composed on third downs really sort of drove home this idea of, yeah, this guy got, has it. Like, We'll overreact. You're going to hear the talking heads overreact about Jordan Love. You'll hear the talking heads talk about, well, you know, the Bears were the worst team in football. I saw Pat McAfee do that. And I, I, look, Pat is a guy who I've, I've kind of fallen out of flavor with. I've talked about that a little bit. But in that regard, like, we can't give the Bears that leeway. They talked way too much shit to give them that leeway. People thought that the Bears were going to make a Jaguars-like ascent. And now they still could, right? Like, week one, there are a lot of crazy things that happen and that they don't mean shit the rest of the year. You saw the Giants get blown out 40 to nothing by the Cowboys. But everything went fucking wrong for the Giants in the first few plays of that game. Where I feel like if, you know, maybe next week or a week after, all of a sudden the Giants are 2-1 and one and we're like, oh, remember they lost 40 to nothing? Like, look, the Packers were the best team in the NFC and they got walloped by the Saints in week one two years ago. So like it it doesn't always mean that much. So yes, the Bears could come to life, 
But back to what McAfee said, he's like, well, you know, this was the worst team in football last year. It's like, well, no, 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 no. We're not doing that because the we were told the Bears were going to make this improvement. We were told that this was going to be the year, that this was going to be this sort of next generation of the Chicago Bears. And I felt like they were Bruno Caballo. They were a year away from a year away. I didn't think that the Bears were ready for this. I personally saw it as, yeah, the Bears would win somewhere in the range of five to seven games. They'd come on kind of strong at the end of the year and make everybody sort of believe again and put themselves in position for year four of Justin Fields and a real conversation of, are you going to pay him? And that would be a discussion for the talking, talking heads next summer. But we, we're talking about real life football now. And I felt like the scapegoating from Bears fans about Luke Getze and everything else, it just says everything you need to know about this Bears team. But we're not a Bears podcast, and thank God we're not. We're a Packers podcast, and we can talk about how Jordan Love was ready for this moment. And it, it looked more ready than Justin Fields has in multiple years of starting football. That, that's, the I think, the jarring part of this if you're a Bears fan, even if you're a Packer fan, that Jordan Love looked more ready for the job of QB1 than Justin Fields, this guy, that they have blown complete smoke out the ass. They've put on an absolute pedestal. It is like the scene in 40-Year-Old Virgin where they're talking to Steve Carell and they're like, you put the pussy on a pedestal. That is exactly what Justin Fields is right now. I know that's a weird comparison, but I'm taping this later than I should. And that's exactly how I saw Justin Fields at the start of this year. They were setting this man up for so much failure. The NFL 100, now granted, complete bullshit. It is done by you know people of the media types, put Justin Fields as a better player than Trevor Lawrence, which is ridiculous, okay? And Jordan Love, again, looked better than Justin Fields in all phases of this football game, mostly on third down, though. He never seemed scared of those moments, and fourth down, too. This from Ryan Wood, and many people had this as well. Jordan Love on third and fourth down was 8 for 10, 141, two touchdowns, and a perfect 58.3 passer ratings. There was an eight-yard touchdown to Dobbs, as pointed out by Wood. There was a 30-yard to Jaden Reed on third and 10, and a 35-yard touchdown to Aaron Jones on fourth and three. And as Wood notes at the end, in a debut. That's nuts. When has Justin Fields ever done that? Right? And that's the part that you bring sort of this like, holy shit, they really did this. There is a real opportunity that this new era is not pomp and circumstance. That everything that we thought this summer could be coming true. I use could and would and should because I'm not saying, we're not saying that yet. It's great to be excited. It's great to feel good about this team, but we have a long way to go. They could come hungover into Atlanta and lose that football game. And they were 1-1 to start the year and they lost to an NFC South team they shouldn't. Because they should beat Atlanta, okay? But I could easily see the Packers playing with their food a little bit in that game and struggling against the running attack that the Falcons bring to the table. And we're going to be happy here, but that's what I mean about, like, the new era seems there. 
the new era of Green Bay Packer football has arrived in Jordan Love. And there were moments that made you believe that this is actually sustainable. What he did on third and fourth down is it gives you a ton of hope that he either he a found the open guys, b Matt Lafleur made made his life easy, schemed it up, got him ready to go, and Love found the guys that he was supposed to, and it led to success. He did not try to play hero ball in one fucking play of this game. And that reigned really true when the Packers had just give up, given up a touchdown on a pretty bad drive altogether. A lot of penalties, gave up a ton on the ground. They got their lead cut to 10. Burkhardt and Olsen are starting to get hard-ons because everybody's starting to get bad. They're like, oh, this game's close. Look out. And we're headed into the fourth quarter, and the Packers have a third and three. Wicks gets a penalty. It's a false start. It goes to third and eight. Jordan Love hits Jaden Reed for 18 yards. Un- great pass. Right to the corner. Found Reed. He was wide open. He makes the sure-handed grab. Again, rookie, mind you, uh, but ready to play right away. Then they have a bad snap, and it, it almost gives you Favre-like vibes because it was a backyard play, and Luke Musgrave is wide the fuck open down the field, and he should have scored, but he fell because he's a little bit klutzy, uh, which is not great for a tight end, but we'll, we'll work on that. I think we just got to get Luke some different cleats. And then Romeo Dobbs, who's had a ha- bad hamstring, mosses a guy for a second touchdown of the game. These things did not happen with Aaron Rodgers last year. Now, did it happen with Aaron Rodgers in the past? Absolutely. But Aaron Rodgers really struggled in these moments last season specifically, where Aaron Rodgers would try to do hero ball and try to force things in there. And because Devontae wasn't there, Aaron Rodgers didn't really know what to do. And that was jarring. It was it was jarring in the sense of like, that if you you think back to when the Packers would kind of let teams creep back in, those were those moments. Love just played within the system. He also, mind you, did not have Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones was on the sideline battling a hamstring injury. And he did that without Aaron Jones out there, who is a obvious, to me, the star of this, this football team. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But he did it without Aaron Jones. And he gets the touchdown. So this new era that we've been talking about, how, how did it come to life? I think it just, everybody got comfortable in the second half. I think that everybody took a big step back and said, okay, Aaron Rodgers is not here. And Matt LaFleur forgot that a couple times. Uh, Matt LaFleur forgot that in, at the end of the first half. Matt LaFleur forgot that, you know, I think in the first half in general, in terms of the lack of using Aaron Jones. And then Matt LaFleur reminded himself or talking with his coaches and they said, hey, you have this great running back in Aaron Jones. Use him. Use him the way you know how to use him. Aaron Rodgers is, Jordan Love's not gonna be mad that you're giving Aaron Jones all these touches. No one's gonna care. No one's gonna audible out of this unless Jordan sees something that he doesn't like. And if he doesn't, they'll talk with him. And they maybe talk to Jordan. Hey, is there stuff for Aaron open? Jones, that is, not Rodgers. And they gave the ball to Aaron Jones and let Aaron Jones cook. And then Matt LaFleur also opened up the playbook a little bit. He was way too conservative in the first half. 
And I, I get wanting to protect your quarterback. I get wanting to make sure that your quarterback, you know, is not going to fuck up in the first, you know, half of the game. I think Matt LaFleur cares about Jordan Love maybe more than Aaron Rodgers. And I know that he wanted to be him to be successful. But sometimes when you're wanting somebody to be successful and you kind of baby them and you hold their hand, they're never successful. They have to go into the deep water. And Jordan Love went in the deep water and swam out of that bitch. And that that was also very impressive. And they got into a groove. And they really started to cook play calling-wise. The fourth and three to Aaron Jones that goes for a touchdown was a play that have we seen with Aaron Rodgers in the last five to six years? Maybe the first, the second year of LaFleur when he wins the MVP. But that might have been it. Like that that version right there was some it was just again like this sort of renaissance of the Green Bay Packers. That was Packer football right there. That was step on the goddamn throat and make sure that the Bears don't come up for air. Now, granted, they did score on the on a soon drive after, but still, like that that type of stuff wasn't really happening last year. It was not the Packers were you know making dumb mistakes or they were they were playing too tight because of Rodgers or Rodgers was trying to make guys do things that they weren't comfortable doing. Matt Lafleur played to his team's strengths, and that was another huge check mark in terms of this new era that looks on the rise and looks like it could be a legitimate thing. My buddy Seth told me this, which I, I was interested and I'm, I'm glad he pointed it out. I'm glad he texted me it and want to give him credit because I didn't notice this and I'll have to maybe watch back and see. But he saw Rich Passaccia was always by LaFleur. That anytime they showed LaFleur, Rich Passaccia was basically in his back pocket. It made me wonder a couple things. Number one, if Matt LaFleur realized that he needed more support without Rodgers there, like if he, need, he needed like an extra set of eyes on the football field and needed, you know, that. But I also wondered if Matt LaFleur needed a guy to bounce things off of a little bit and needed a guy to sort of just tell him like, hey, calm down. Hey, why are you worried about this? Shut the fuck up. Like, I, I just wonder if Matt LaFleur is finally recognizing that he might be a little too uptight. He might be wound a little too tight sometimes to be a head coach in the NFL. And if Basaccia is sort of there as his sort of vibes guy, right? We lost Jimmy Buffett, unfortunately. And maybe he's his Jimmy Buffett. Now, granted, Pit, Bo Pit Boss Rich does not exactly look like Jimmy Buffett, but you get my drift. Maybe he's there just as sort of a security blanket, and that could be a really good thing and definitely something to monitor, you know, as we go on in this season. So as for the new era of Green Bay Packer football, it's here. It's in your face. It's still a work in progress. It's not done. But the Green Bay Packers seemingly have a new brand of football on the offensive side of the ball. It is what Matt LaFleur wanted to do from day one. And he is getting that opportunity here with Jordan Love. And Jordan Love looks ready for the moment. Jordan Love's going to have games where he struggles, okay? Like, this is not going to be a just all-out Jordan Love's awesome from start to finish. And it, he could, 
But he's going to struggle, right? I'm sure we could look at Mahomes' first year as a starter and find games where things went off the rails for Mahomes, okay? That's just part of it. You know, it's part of a new quarterback. That's part of, you know, getting comfortable with the position. So there will be those struggles. But with what Love did offensively and what this defense did, I know we didn't talk too much about the defense. We'll do a little more on the defense in the Golden Keg segment. And the defense looked apart, really frustrated Justin Fields all day long, got into his kitchen. I know Bears fans are going to fire Luke Getze and putting all the blame on their offensive coordinator and not on their quarterback, which is fucking wild to me. It's like Luke Getze was trying to protect Justin Fields. Justin Fields did not have time to throw the football. Justin Fields was in absolute hell with what the Packers were throwing at him in terms of their pass rush. This Bears offensive line was not fixed. That was a problem for Chicago last year. It's a problem for Chicago this year. And Getze, it can only do so much with what's in front of them. And it's it's going to be a long year for that line. And there's a lot to clean up. Was Getze, did Getze get conservative? Did he turtle against Joe Barry? Maybe. But Joe Barry was ready for Justin Fields. And that was all I asked. And I said, hey, you have months to prepare for this guy. It's like Navy was the example I kept using on the podcast. And Joe Barry passed with flying colors. And if the Packers actually have a defense, which I'm more hesitant to say that than I am for Jordan Love, which is kind of wild to think about. Oh, man. We are we're maybe heading into a different stratosphere, even for this season. But the Green Bay Packers look like they are still running this division. It looked like shit didn't change. Yeah, I know the Vikings won the division last year, but who has been the king of the North for the last 30 years? It's been the Green Bay Packers. And the Chicago Bears thought they were going to start their own new era. And it's the same old Bears, just like it was the same old Jay and throwing pick sixes. Packers have beat the Bears 26 times in the last 30 tries since 2008. That is absolutely absurd. That is an absolute domination and ass kicking. As my buddy Murph said, who was on the pod last week, who was at the game, said this isn't a rivalry. He is right. And Bears fans now go back to their holes. And they go back to being quiet because there's nothing they can say. They have to hope that they're not going to be 0-3. But it looks very much the case because that Tampa team defensively is very good. Uh, your boy might have, may or may not have placed the wager on them to win the South. And then they have to go to Kansas City. Those are not easy places to play uh, in any way, shape, or form. And the Packers continue to run the roost just with a new guy in charge. But that new guy in charge looks absolutely ready for the moment. And the new era is brighter than it's ever been before. Moving on to Golden Kegs. Golden Kegs is something that we've done, gosh, for a long time. It used to be star ratings um, back in the day. And then we made it Golden Kegs, I think last year, two years ago. Uh, basically five to one, uh, five being the best, one being the worst. Um, this year is a little different. Uh, usually I would just single out one player, two players to talk about. I actually kind of listed out everything so that we can kind of do it as a catch-all. Um, if I've already talked about stuff, I'll try to 
be less on that um, and be more on the other things that caught my eye uh, in those categories. I'm trying to make this more fun, make it a little bit different of a Golden Kegs experience than it had been in the past. So hopefully it'll, it might change. If you have any feedback, we always are, are there for it. Five kegs, I already talked about Aaron Jones, definitely a five keg guy for that. Aaron Jones, you know, needs to be the focal point of this offense. Uh, and they need to find ways to get Aaron Jones the football. He finished the day a nine carries, 41 yards. He also had two catches for 86 yards. Two dynamic plays out of the backfield for Aaron Jones, uh, where he took a screen pass 51 yards. That is kind of a forgotten play in the grand scheme of things uh, because of all the other stuff that happened. And then the fourth and three. Uh, so awesome stuff from Aaron Jones. And yeah, the guy needs to be a dude. Hopefully he is not bullshitting about that hamstring and he's good to go for week two because if they don't have him, might be some issues. Green Bay Packers pass rush. Oh my goodness. Uh, this Packer pass rush was relentless. They were in Justin Fields' kitchen all day long, creating noise, uh, whether it be on the edge, whether it be through the middle. They were absolutely relentless. They hit the quarterback six times. Uh, they they had a lot going on. I think they had four total sacks in this game. Uh, but yeah, it was an impressive effort from this defense. Uh, one of the guys in there was Devontae Wyatt. Uh, he had one and a half sacks. He also had a couple tackles for losses. He hit the quarterback a couple times. This is the Devontae Wyatt that everybody hoped we'd get last year, right? Uh, Devontae Wyatt, older player, unlike what the Packers typically do with their draft picks, they obviously saw something in Wyatt, and this is what they saw. Uh, it was his best game as a Green Bay Packer. He came on strong last season. He continues sort of what we saw in the preseason and, and lived up to that hype. So... I really like that. Uh, that's something that we we hopefully will continue to see. Uh, next week is a massive test for him. Uh, hopefully being back, and I think he's a Georgia Georgia guy. He went to Georgia, right? But he's played in that stadium. I think he's actually from Georgia as well. So let me check that. We'll get IT. Uh, yeah, Decatur, Georgia. So this will be a home game for him, man. So hopefully he steps up in what should be a big game. Because if they have him and Kenny Clark going, they're going to be a lot harder and like i said so we we have a new stratosphere if this defense is actually better than, than we think it might be uh and then another five keg to one keg not being a clusterfuck uh, i said that earlier uh but just refreshing right uh that we are not downtrodden that we are not you know searching for answers after a bad week one uh we're on the on the right path uh and not having to worry about potentially being owned two uh, granted, it never happened in the last couple of years, but still, uh, you get the point. Uh, Darnell Savage uh, is another five-kegger. Uh, I thought Savage really played well. Uh, he was very aggressive at the line of scrimmage. Uh, played a little bit more like a, a linebacker than I would say a safety. He had some moments at safety too, but really swinging you know, his arms around and making big hits. And loved, loved to see that from Savage. Um, I, I thought that there might be a comeback season in him just because it is a contract year, be, that's the case. Uh, I think we're we're seeing that on full display. Five kicks also to Anders Carlson. 
Anders Carlson got a lot of heat this summer. There was some bring back Mason. I had expressed some concerns about Andrew Carlson. But his 52-yarder to end the first half, which shouldn't be forgotten, uh, that's kind of one of those plays you mark because it was a 7-6 game, kind of hung in the balance. The Packers would get the ball back in the second half, and they would end up scoring. So they completed that double up for a 17-6 advantage, and Carlson hits the field goal. So you get 10 points there. You steal three at the end of the first half. You get seven on the back half. You made all those extra points. There was absolutely no worries with what Carlson did. That 52-yarder, by the way, could have went for 70. Uh, absolutely drilled it. Uh, so good stuff from him. You know, we'll get the dome advantage and then be at home for the, for the next two. So it's kind of a nice sort of start for Carlson. This was probably the most worrisome game from a kicker perspective in the first five, and he passed it with flying colors. Four kegs, Jordan Love. I, so I, I only, I knocked Jordan Love a little bit. He was 15 and 27, right? Only, you know, 15 completed passes overall. Granted, he didn't need to complete more than that. So that's fine. Uh, but I, I do think I want to note that Love, you know, having that play, you know, just the way he played the second half was great. I, I wish we would have seen it all throughout the game, but he's, look, it's his debut. How how critical can you be of a guy who went 245 and three touchdowns, right? Uh, Luke Van Ness's sack, another major first half moment. Uh, Luke Van Ness chases Justin Fields. Justin Fields thinks he can run past Luke Van Ness. Luke Van Ness shows off that Herculean speed and that just freak athleticism and brings down Justin Fields. They force the field goal instead of six. Now, if that is Zadarius Smith or that is even Ingenbare, maybe even Rashawn Gary, honestly, running down Fields, I don't think they catch him. And I think Fields walks in for a touchdown and it's 7-7 you know, Packers bears, and maybe the momentum of that first half is entirely different. Uh, but the Packers get the bend, don't break. They keep the momentum going. They kept the lead. They also won wire to wire in this game, by the way, uh, which will kind of get forgotten. But there was, you know, the Packers never trailed in this football game, uh, which, you know, maybe they need a little bit of that adversity. But I felt like they got a, got a bit of it when it was 24 to 20. 24 to 14. Uh, also, Rashawn Gary, uh, who I just mentioned, I thought he had a really good game in the limited snaps he got. I think he only was in for 10 pass rushes, but had eight pressures, which is incredible. Uh, nearly forced a fumble on fields on a third down. Uh, I think he did end up with a sack too, right? Uh, but yeah, Rashawn really you know, looked ready to roll. You wish he could have played a little bit more, but I totally understand, you know, what they are doing in terms of their load management with Gary and making sure that he's out there, but not overdoing it so that he, you know, can play a full season and he's not going to hurt his ACL again. He actually doesn't show up on the stat sheet. That's wild. Uh, like the overall stat sheet, you don't see Rashawn Gary's name. So he must have not got a sack. I thought he he had a sack, but whatever. Doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, not here nor there. Uh, let's continue to rip through these. Uh, other four kegs. Offensive line. Uh, again, would have gave the offensive line a five keg, but Josh Myers had some moments. He had a bad snap. Uh, he had some struggles early on in this game. Uh, but overall, the offensive line looked good. David Bakhtiari doesn't even practice. Um, I'm not worried about David Bakhtiari uh, practicing at least for a couple weeks here.
Uh, he he certainly looked the part. Uh, was enjoying being out there. Uh, was has been interacting on on Twitter after the game. So any concerns David Bakhtiari was disconnected from this team, I think is an absolute sham. Zach Tom had a really nice block on that Aaron Jones run uh, for the, or the yeah, one for the touchdown, which is like four yard one. Uh, but yeah, great stuff uh, from that offensive line in general. Uh, three kegs, Jaden Reed. So like Jaden Reed's three keg is not necessarily because he did anything bad. Uh, it's more that Jaden Reed, uh, it, it's just there was some moments there, there are flashes, but it, he didn't do anything where it's like, oh yeah, that's the reason the Packers, you know, won the game. Now, granted, he had that big third down catch that we mentioned earlier. That was huge. Uh, he also had a really nice return. It didn't end up going anywhere, but he was able to return the ball like 20 yards. I can't remember the last time the Packers got 20 yards on a punt return. Uh, so it, there's that. Uh, but yeah, good stuff from Jaden Reed, even if it like doesn't exactly show up in the box score. Uh, I was really impressed with the way Jaden Reed played and glad that he only had a cramp issue at the end of the game. Luke Musgrave's feet. Man, we got to get him on some agility drills. We have to get Luke Musgrave running some ladders. I have so many ladder drills that I could send Luke Musgrave. I wonder if it's just the cleats. I wonder if it was just a little bit of nerves. Uh, he had the one play early in this game where he could have came down with a catch if he would have just kept running, but he kind of did like as uh, Olsen described, like the Willie Mays kind of basket instead of just running. Uh, and if he just would have kept running, he would have had a touchdown. And then also if he would have just kept running, he would have had a touchdown. So they, there's a bit of an adjustment period still at Musgrave, but I think the best is yet to come with him. I'm not exactly worried per se. Two kegs, injuries. This could certainly be a one keg, but I think where it stands right now with the injuries, I will put it at the two keg designation. Uh, you have Aaron Jones with that hamstring injury. Uh, you need Aaron Jones back for for game number two. Uh, that's just a must. Uh, you also had Quay Walker get a concussion on his interception return. I really didn't talk about that interception return at all, uh, which was an awesome play. Just a huge play to end this game, to be the dagger. You know, it's still sort of hung a little bit in the balance, right? It's 31 to 14. You know, if the Bears get a touchdown, they can still, there's still a glimmer of hope. If they, if they sort of respond and keep the pressure on the Packers, like they're still, you know, quote-unquote, in this football game. 17 points is not astronomical in today's NFL in the fourth quarter, maybe with the way the Bears throw the football, but that's, again, here nor there. And then Quay Walker picks it off on a complete force by Justin Fields, and Fields is kind of like Cutler. You just expect him to throw pass, throw an interception. 22 picks now for Justin Fields in 26 games. That's, that's not going to get it done, man. He also had the fumble uh, as well, and that led to the Packers... You know, second touchdown in the second half. And yeah, it it, it really kind of came undone for Fields in that second half. And I, I know we're talking more about the injuries and that that's unfortunate. So hopefully Quay Walker's okay. Um, Isaiah McDuffie against that Atlanta run defense gives me nightmares. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon, not ex he had seven tackles, but not exactly a great day from the slot. It seemed like when the Bears were able to pass the ball, it was attacking Nixon. Uh, not good uh, on his on his end. Uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, that gets better. Hopefully that's just one game. Um, and I think even if it is an issue for the Packers, hopefully you're Eric, you have Eric Stokes back week five or week six. And you can, or well, week seven because they have a bye. But you get my point. Like there, there's at least a glimmer of hope there that you're not going to have to rely on Keyshawn Nixon for the entire season. 
One keg, AJ Dillon. Oh man, uh, I told I was said to myself late last year that I wasn't going to call him Door County Dillon because he was a nice guy. I also forgot that nickname. Remember, I was thinking about what I what nickname I gave AJ Dillon, and it was a le- early last week or something like that. And my guy Twigs reminded me that I called him Door County Dillon. Uh, completely forgot about that. Um, and Door County Dillon showed up, unfortunately. Uh, Thirteen carries for nineteen yards overall. Uh, was a really rough game. He had a little bit of some moments out of the backfield in terms of catching the football. So I, I guess that's there. Uh, two catches for 17 yards. So I'll, I'll give him at least that credit. But he looked bad out of the backfield. So I don't know if that's just, you know, in terms of the way he's plotting, if that's just the way he's hitting the hole. But man, oh man, I, I don't know where, what happened to the old AJ Dillon. And it's, it's been a struggle. And this COVID draft is one that I, I think we'll have 30 for 30s on because I just think nobody knew who was, who was good, who wasn't good. And A.J. Dillon might be a symptom of that. So he needs to be better, uh, simply put. if he, he doesn't deserve the ball 13 times. Uh, I thought, you know, Patrick Taylor almost ran better than Dillon when the game was over. And it's like, if Dillon's going to be this bad, you got to at least maybe explore Patrick Taylor, Emmanuel Wilson. Like this can't just, you can't just immediately be like, oh yeah, we're only going to give AJ Dillon the ball. He can't have 13 carries next week. And maybe he still will because of the Aaron Jones hamstring issue, but it's got to be better for AJ Dillon. The end of the first half was an absolute fucking nightmare for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, They was 30, there was like 30 some seconds left. Love takes a bad sack. And then they just let the clock run down. Like, and that was such a moment where it was like, Aaron Rodgers in here, guys. Like, you guys gotta you gotta do something different here. Aaron Rodgers is not is not walking through that door. Uh, and Jordan Love was a complete cluster in that moment. And they were able to get the timeout, and Carlson it drills the field goal. But man, that was that was bad. Um, I, I do I do expect those those growing pain moments though. Right, like you can't just ignore ignore those. Those are going to happen with a young football team. There's going to be those those few moments in a football game where you're like, oh yeah, young football team. That's that's going to happen. Just we have to embrace that as what we have with our with our guys. Lastly, uh, not knowing what a yeet gasm is. So David Bakhtiari did like this pose where it was almost like a it was the Titanic scene. Uh, which for some of you probably is the first time you saw boobs with Kate Winslet. and But he didn't say it was like a French girl pose. He called it a yeekgasm. I looked up what yeekgasm is. I can't find it anywhere. There's like maybe one or two things. Uh, like to yeet is I guess to throw something really hard. So is it like, it's a, like, is he talking like a cum explosion? Is that what it is? Like, is that is that what a yeekgasm is? I have never felt more fucking out of touch than I do right now. Usually I know what the hell is going on, right? I know what's hot in the streets. I can, you know, probably embarrass myself in terms of the knowledge I know about people like Alex Earl, right? But it, a, a yeekgasm, no idea. No fucking idea at all. Um, maybe it's a made up word. I don't know, but I am out of touch. And that, that's very weird considering Bakhtiari is a 31 year old. And I, I would expect that from one of the younger guys, not one of the older guys, but still, uh, I, I need a definition. Um, I, I guess it's like just coming hard. 
uh, that would be my only my only thing. Uh, just, so it's like are, we're just blowing Peter North ropes. Is that is that what you're saying? Um, but I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so out of touch there. But what are you what are you gonna do? Uh, that's just you know that's how that's how life works sometimes. All right, let's move on from the Green Bay Packers. I know how excited it was, uh, but there were other things that happened this weekend in Wisconsin sports. Some good, some bad. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers good. The Wisconsin Badgers bad. Let's uh, let's get in both. The Milwaukee Brewers had a good weekend despite what happened on Sunday. I I know it's hard to say that right because Sunday, if you watched and you should have watched, uh, if honestly like not trying to fan gatekeep here, but if you are a Brewer fan, and I know it's NFL, I know it's Week One, I know it's exciting, but you have Burns and Garrett Cole on the mound, you should have at least been checking in on the Brewers. Like you, you can have it on second screen. I had it on second screen the entire, pretty much the entire game. It was not first screen for me, uh, but I still was keeping an eye on it. I still was watching it. I had watched it with sound actually. I had a good thing going uh, when I was doing a chore and I didn't wasn't by my TV, and I ended up having both games on the laptop and I had the Brewer sound, but then I was watching the NFL game, so I could listen to BA and Vinny Rotino. And then was watching whatever game. I think it was Tampa and the Vikings. So anyways, you had to watch that game. And the Brewers pitching dominated for 10 innings. It was incredible to watch them, you know, go through a full 10 innings of baseball and what they did in that game. And in the South Freelick catch was probably the catch of the year. Uh, one of just an unbelievable grab from South Freelick in right field to keep the no-hitter, to keep the game won for the Brewers. And it looked like the Brewers were going to get out of there with a win. Uh, It was 1-1 after the Brewers took the lead on Tyrone Taylor hit. With Tyrone Taylor, continues to be a clutch hitter. Uh, And then the Yankees tie it back up. They get two more runs in the next inning. Monasterio with an awesome at-bat to give them the insurance run. Andrew Chafin comes in. It's like, okay, he's been a little bit better, but... It's John Carlos Stanton, and he hangs a fucking slider on a one-two count, and Stanton takes it out of the yard, ties it up. Brewers can't get any offense in the next inning. They lose in the 13th. It was a terrible loss, okay? Like, it really was bad because of how good Corbin Burns pitched and the great play by Sal Freelich to preserve the no-hitter and Devin Williams, Abner Reed. Like, everybody pitched that needed a pitch in that game. And yeah, Payamas couldn't get it done. That's unfortunate in the in the 11th. And that was probably the one where you're hoping and maybe there was a little too much pressure because their no-hitter was still technically on. And at some point, you're, you get a hit, right? There's a reason there's never been an 11-inning no-hitter, uh, which is wild, which I never knew. That. Uh, but it's, it is one of those things where it, it does tear you up, but you have to keep yourself, you know, keep your head up and be like, all right, one, two out of three against the Yankees. You overall went three and three on this road trip. It's not exactly ideal, right? Because you're facing two teams that won't make the playoffs, but 500 on the road usually wins baseball games. And you're three up on the Cubs. The Cubs struggled against the Arizona Diamondbacks, losing three out of four. They were able to avoid the sweep on Sunday. And you're three up on the Cubs, you know, heading into this week. And that's a progress from staring down the potential barrel of only being one up of the Cubs on Friday. And after the struggles you had against the Pittsburgh Pirates again, 
it, it was really nice to see the way the Brewers offense, you know, got in gear on Friday and Saturday and they just kept adding runs and they kept relentlessly attacking the Yankees bullpen. Uh, both nights, they were just absolutely aggressive against that Yankees bullpen and they had their number and it was, you know, really fun to see and fun to watch. And I was able to watch on Friday. I watched sort of the YouTube nine minute thing of it uh, because I was at a wedding. But yeah, I, Saturday was great. And it just was like, it wasn't stopping for the Brewers. And that's the type of stuff that I think we just need more of. And we just need to keep sort of the pressure on and keep the pedal to the metal. And, you know, it, it, they could have easily kind of went into a swoon here and not taken advantage of the Cubs sort of finally faltering for once, on a, especially at home. And they didn't. And that was, those were big moments for the Brewers. And I, I think they'll look back on that as, you know, being able to pull themselves off the mat. And I, I think that to me has been the, maybe one of the bigger bright spots of the second half for the Brewers and sort of since really that Dodgers series, right? Where you, you know, you get beat and you have a couple games that don't go your way and then you just, you don't let it kind of spin out of control and you don't let it sort of become this, you know, major factor for you and the team. I don't, when's have they lost three straight since that Dodgers game? I don't think so, right? They've lost two straight. Uh, they did uh, against Philly and Pittsburgh, but they they have. I don't know. They've lost three straight since getting swept by the Dodgers. Let's see here. Pull that up for the second half. Yeah, so they lost two straight. They lost two straight to the Cubs. They lost two straight to Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Um, yeah, they have not lost three straight since that. Since being sixty-five and fifty-seven, since losing three straight games, the Brewers have always kind of bounced back after a loss. After two losses, that is. They have not seen a three-game losing streak since. And that is what's been able to keep them at the top spot against the Chicago Cubs. And it's gonna need they're gonna need to continue now. I, I think the biggest worry I have coming out of Sunday's game is not necessarily they lost. It's the fact that what does this bullpen now look like? You don't have a day off now until shit. I thought they had a day off next Thursday. They don't have a day off till next Monday, Monday the 25th. That is a long fucking time without a day off. And the way the Brewers play, where it's close baseball games and you're going to face Miami twice, who's fighting for a playoff spot, like that's going to be really difficult. And I think a 13 inning game on Sunday was the last thing Craig Council wanted. I, I wonder if you had a beer with Craig Council tonight and you're like, hey, would you rather had Sal Freelick miss that catch and the game was over and then you preserved, you know, some of your bullpen and you didn't have to use Piamis and you didn't have to use Chafin and you didn't have to use Hobie Milner? You probably would have said yes. And it, it, as unfortunate as that is, I, I think they probably would have preferred just to lose in the 10th, honestly. And instead you didn't. And now, now you kind of have to buck up here and you're going to need... Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta to be stellar on Monday and Tuesday night. I think that's that's really important for them if they they can kind of you know be you know big swinging dicks like they've been. Uh, that will be a huge plus for the Brewers if they're able to kind of keep this bullpen on ice, if you will, and not necessarily have to use a ton of options. A blowout win also would go a long way uh, for the Brewers. And maybe the opportunity is there on Monday. They've been better against lefties. 
Lazardo has been rough on the road. Um, potentially, maybe that's an area of opportunity for them. Daniel Castano, I think, is the guy that's going to be pitching on Tuesday. Castano has not been good this season. He did he did have some moments. I think he pitched well against the Brewers. I don't know if it was last year or two years ago. Uh, I just remember a game where Daniel Castano got called up. Might have been his first game overall as a, a big leaguer, and he just dominated the Brewers. Um, and that's just dumb Brewer knowledge that I have. And then you face another lefty in Braxton Garrett and likely a return of Adrian Hauser and then Wade Miley to finish it off against very talented Yuri Perez. I'm jealous of my parents getting to see Yuri Perez, uh, the young 20-year-old, uh, for the Marlins. So I I think that those you still need to try to get three wins against the Marlins. And that'll be tough. Marlins are playing well. They've won eight of their last 10 baseball games. Uh, they've kind of turned it around. They're a half game out of the wild card, as mentioned. But you're going to have to try to find a way to at least get two. I know I said three, but I've kind of taken a step back given the fact the Marlins are hot. But you have the Cubs playing the Rockies. The Rockies are putrid. Rockies have, are 7-23 and 23 in their last 30 games. And the Cubs could easily sweep uh, without really any reservation. Now, uh, you know, you could say, oh, maybe the Cubs will pull Brewers and put their foot off the gas and lose one of those games. Coors is weird. I agree, Coors is weird, but I'm not going to bank on that. I'm not going to bank on the Rockies winning a baseball game and helping us out here. Uh, that's just, that's fools. That's just, you're just asking for a little bit too much there, right? Uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Um, and then they got Arizona again, who Arizona had their number. Uh, and hopefully they do again, you know, in Arizona. You have a lot of Cubs fans in that, in that game. But there there is that opportunity the following weekend. So even if it gets tight this week, um, I'm not going to sweat. But I think... The Brewers should learn from their uh, rival Cubs and see, you know, a team desperate, you know, for baseball, for winning baseball games. And every game matters right now for the Marlins. Every game is a playoff game for the Marlins. And the Brewers are going to have to match that, you know, from first pitch on. Um, and that's that's going to be that's going to be difficult, especially t tomorrow or today uh, with the fact that you played a 13 game. Uh, but hopefully the Brewers can get off the mat. Hopefully they can respond. They've been good about it, you know, all year, as mentioned. And yeah, I still think there's a lot to like from what we saw Friday and Saturday. You know, being able to get 17, outscore the Yankees 17 to four, and overall on aggregate, you outscored them, what, 21, 21 to five? Yeah, is that right? No, 21 to seven, uh, so football score. Uh, you know, that that most of the time plays, right? You know, he had a three hit game from Terang on, on Friday night, Adamas had two hits. Contreras had had two. Santana had three. Santana's been hot. Yeah, they had six. Let's see. So they had sixteen. Oh my bad. They had sixteen hits. They had twenty-seven hits overall in in those first two games against the Yankees. Like, that's really good stuff. Unfortunately, Garrett Cole was really good, and you couldn't get the no hitter for Burns and and Williams or Burns in general. That part stinks. Um, and. I do think there. If there's one last thing I'd say about you know this is that the last three times Corbin Burns has been you know on his A game, he he's not got anything from the offense, and it seems like when Burns is on his A game, the I don't know if it's just they take a step back. I, I don't get it. I know, granted, one of those games was with the Mickey Mouse wind in Chicago, and then the Dodgers they just I think at that point wanted to be done with LA. Tonight, you had Garrett Cole, who was probably the best out of the three guys. Well, you faced Justin Steele, too. I mean, that's, I mean, Justin Steele is probably, you probably have, 
you want to be sort of on the positive on the burns, now I'll argue with myself, uh, you have basically faced NL Cy Young and AL Cy Young in the last two weeks against Corbin Burns. And Corbin Burns has went toe-to-toe. And that should actually at least give you some confidence in October that Corbin Burns can do it against, against the big boys. So hopefully uh, it'll be all right against Miami. But I, I'm a touch, touch nervous about it, uh, especially just knowing how dire Miami is to win baseball games. Uh, the Brewers hopefully, hopefully will match their intensity uh, starting tonight. All right, let's wrap up today's show with the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, the Badgers are, you know, one team, the black sheep of the weekend, right? Uh, after, you know, great Packer win and after a pretty successful Brewers weekend, as we just mentioned, uh, the Wisconsin Badgers do not have that same sort of winning Wisconsin weekend feel. Uh, they lose 31 to 22. Uh, it was a game that and when we did the betting preview, I told you to stay as far away from Wisconsin. I probably should have told my Marquette friends who listened that if you wanted to wager on Washington State and take the money line, you're probably not, probably wouldn't have been a bad thing. Uh, but Washington State had something to prove. Uh, and I, I wondered about this, gosh, I don't know, when we were doing some of the Badger schedule stuff in August, I wondered, you know, would they make a statement about, you know, Pac-12, right? And the Pac-12 leaving them for dead. And it seemed like they did. And it seemed like there was a real energy in that stadium that they wanted to show how much football mattered in Pullman, Washington. And I told you a story. I think when we did the realignment stuff uh, middle of August, you go back and listen to the open, where I talk about my girlfriend, or my girlfriend, my, my, friend, my wife's friend's boyfriend, there we go, uh, it's, it's late. Uh, and he's from Pullman, Washington. Talks about how important it is to have tourism there. And it's a very small town. And they kind of need it to rely, kind of need it to survive, if you will. And so that how much of a death knelt it was for the Pac-12 to leave them for dead. And yeah, they, they played like they wanted to make a statement about you know who they are and what Pullman, Washington is all about. And the Badgers didn't match that intensity. You know, we just talked about the Brewers and Marlins. Badgers were not ready. The Badgers did not get off the bus ready to match what Washington State was throwing at them. Uh, the Cougars were more than capable of handling that Badger defense, which we worried a little bit about last week, and it continues to be a struggle. Uh, Mike Tressel has a lot of work to do with those corners. Uh, those corners are bad, uh, and that was something that looked like it could be an issue for Wisconsin, and it is an issue. I, I don't think it's an overreaction to say that's not a problem for them. Now, they did generate some pass rush, which I think is is a positive. Now, who knows if that is just Cam Ward holding down the ball too long or an actual pass rush. Um, and that that is maybe something you can take away from this as a positive. Um, and just the way you played in the second half, right? You know, And if you take away the defensive, turn, defensive touchdown that Washington State had, you held them to 24 points. And if you extrapolate it out a little bit further, you also held them to, let's see here, do the math. They had seven in the first half. So they you held, you held them to seven points in the second half. Now granted, that was sort of the deciding touchdown of, of what won Washington State that football game. But still, like you, you had a very good second half and you made those adjustments. But how, how, do you, how are you not ready to go you know, in the first half of the game? Is it just because the tape it doesn't match what you're seeing on the football field? That could be the only thing that like that that can explain sort of the slow starts of Wisconsin. Besides like the growing pains and all the other bullshit that I think a lot of people are talking about, is 
are they seeing different things on tape that they're not seeing on the field? And when they see it on the field, they're like, all right, we know, we know what adjustments to We know what we need to scheme up. We know this, we know that. And then they're able to do it in the second half and sort of come back to life. I am starting to feel like that's the case. Like that's, that's what it looks like to me. And now maybe, you know, as the year goes on, you're going to get more tape, you get more comfortable with the team and understand like, all right, you have to do this, 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 you know, early on and make sure that you're, you're getting after it. Because let's be clear, Georgia Southern is, ain't no bitch. Like Georgia Southern can beat Wisconsin in Wisconsin. I don't think it'll happen. You know, they're 17 point underdog, but Georgia Southern can pass the football. They are a pass it happy team. The over-under set at 63, which is wild for a Badger game. Uh, but And the reason is, is because Georgia Southern moves the ball up and down the field. And the Badgers should be very weary of that. There is That that chance is there. You will see somebody say they're going to take a Georgia Southern money line, which is probably going to be like plus 1,000. But I guarantee you they will. Because I, the Badgers' defense has not shown the ability to stop anybody. And that Georgia Southern team, I think they put up 49 on UAB last week. Like they're good. They they're they're going to be right there with some belt contenders. That's a it's a very difficult sneaky matchup for Wisconsin, uh, and they need to be ready for it. They need to they need to bring it. And I think that's that's something that you need to have you know start start seeing right. I think it would give a lot more confidence if the Badgers look like they're ready to go off the bus and they don't need a, a first half to make those adjustments. I think also the just expectations of this football team. You know, the over-under was set at eight and a half. And I think that's, there's a reason for that. And I think it's because this Badger team was not maybe the TCU darling that everybody, not everybody, but some people thought could happen, right? That they could make this like TCU-like leap with a new coach and everything else. I, I just think with the offense and with Tanner Mordecai being kind of average, I I always, I never was... And maybe I should have been, I think if I look back, I should have been a little more hard on that and should have been a little more hesitant to be like, okay, I understand people's excitement, but Tanner Mordecai was not great at SMU. And he had a lot of weapons at SMU. And he had Rasheed Rice, who was a second round pick uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs, who caught touchdown, you know, week one. He doesn't have a second round pick on that, you know, in terms of that wide receiver core. He does no tight end right now. And so... I think Tanner Mordecai needs to, you know, we need to kind of reset and be like, all right, yeah, maybe he's a little bit better than those old Badger quarterbacks, but he's not, he's not like this like superstar guy either. He's not a game changing, you know, transfer quarterback. He's not Sam Hartman, right? Uh, that is certainly not what we're seeing out of, out of Tanner Mordecai. And he, he needs to be a little bit better. I mean, it's, the turnovers have been an issue, right? He's had five total, I think now. No, four total in two games. And really, you know, in this game against Washington State, it's the difference. I mean, if he doesn't fumble that football, it's a one-score game. And I know the Malusi play, and some people are probably pulling their eyes like, why haven't you mentioned the officiating? Well, I just don't think the officiating was that critical to the Badgers losing. Badgers lost because they weren't ready to play this football game. And they were not prepared for the juice and the energy that Cam Ward and everybody else was bringing. And this defense sucked. So I can't look at it and be like, oh, yeah, it's the official's fault. It's it, it it's part of the game. I blame the officials sometimes a lot, usually when I'm watching Marquette. Um, that's probably where I 
am the most bitchy about officials. Bucks probably number two. That actually could be its own like summer podcast in itself. Is what do I bitch about the most about officials? Marcotte, I think is number one, and I think Bucks number two, Packers number three, um, and then Brewers number four. Angel Hernandez, I call a fuckface on Twitter today. Uh, so maybe maybe the Brewers actually need to be higher. But anyways. I just can't get into like the whole blame game of officials and that if the officials call it differently, this is a different football game. I understand the Malusi fumble was one that it did change how sort of the second half goes and the, the missed safety call as well. Like those were, those were moments where, yeah, there should have maybe been a call, but you're on the road. You're usually not going to get as many calls on the road as you will at home. That's just part of it. Unless you're Alabama unless you're Georgia, unless you're a team that has sort of this, this swagger about them that gets the calls, right? The Duke calls, as we talk about in college basketball. Like, their Badgers aren't getting Duke calls, okay? And Badgers aren't getting, I guess Alabama calls will be the college football equivalent. Like, they're not getting Alabama calls. Alabama probably gets that call in the safety. Alabama might not get the fumble call anymore. It gets reversed, right? But I... I that's not just, that's usually not how it goes, especially on the road. I I do think Camp Randall's there. It's different. It's a different story. And, you know, it's, it's a shame that, you know, those are things, but that should be the last thing you're talking about in terms of this game. The Badgers played a role in the Badgers losing, but I, I feel like that's way down the totem pole. You can't, you can't be, that can't be your number one thing and say, well, it's a rough sense. Screw us. We, we're two and out. Like, that's just not, it's not how it works, man. Uh, Tanner Mordecai doesn't fumble that football. You know, the bad, it's what, 17-9 heading into the halftime. You're down one score, which is perfectly fine on the road, right? Like Auburn was trailing Cal that entire game, and then they pulled it out at the end. And, you know, other teams won on the road with, be, with being down early. So I don't think there's anything wrong with being down, and you'd be down one score at that point. And with the way you played in the second half, probably win that football game. And you scored twice, and, you know, yeah, 22-17, and there you go. And, all, and then the other part is, you know, Luke Fickle going for two. That's a, another huge part of this game is the decision to go for two by Luke Fickle to try to tie up this football game is another, you know, major moment in this one because if he didn't, you know, and you already had seen the kicker, Farkos, do pretty well. He had three field goals made. Like, I don't really understand why you go for two in that spot when it would have been an eight-point eight game and then you would have had a chance. You would have at least had a... a opportunity to potentially win this football game and you know with one score and a two and a two point needed I, I know the math says get it early get it out of the way but I think in the way the game was going don't give Washington State any sort of momentum any sort of hope that that they are they're still in control of this game it, it swung to the Badger side and you know they they kind of pissed it away so it is what it is. Uh, you know, it's it's week two of college football. The long way to go. Um, I don't think you can make any assumptions about anybody at this point. I know that we're all like Texas is back. Miami looks awesome. Florida State looks good. Like all these teams are kind of, which is, first of all, that's fucking great for college football. Like I, I love the fact that Texas put it on Alabama. I think that is excellent for college football to have, you know, all these premier programs because it just makes more exciting Saturdays, right? We get more fired up for that because there are more teams to talk about. It's not the same old teams. It's not like, oh, this is going to be a predictable playoff. I had Big Cat of Barstool called it. He's like, I think this is going to be a chaotic year of college football. And he's right. I think it's already shaping up like that in two weeks because I think you're just seeing a lot of different 
sort of potential angles here. And it's it's definitely interesting, right? Ohio State doesn't look great. Uh, they look vulnerable. Uh, Alabama has already shown themselves as vulnerable. Georgia, we won't know because they play an absolute shit schedule really for that entire year. Uh, Tennessee struggled with Austin Pay. Are you telling me they're going to go in the swamp and beat Florida? But then are you also saying we're going to have to wager Graham Mertz against against Tennessee, that Florida team that looked like absolute garbage against a Utah team that struggled to beat, that had to squeak out against Baylor. Oh, that same Baylor team that lost to Texas State. I'm just saying it's it's kind of wild when you pull it all back. SEC also being very unimpressive against other Power 5 teams so far this year. Uh, the Pac-12's dominance. Uh, ACC looking like there's something here uh, with Miami and Duke and Florida State, as mentioned. Yeah, it's it's really a fun year of college football, and it's been two weeks. Bad slate next week, but it's why you it's why you go to the Brewer game. Like your wife's like, hey, do you want to go to the Brewer game with friend of a my brother brother in law's friend? I was like, yeah, it's bad college football slate. You know, it's that those are the ones where it's like you got to make sure you bank your your good weeks and your bad weeks. That's that's a little pro tip for those who are like, how do you how do you do it? Uh, it's you got to look, you got to keep. Keep an eye on the calendar. Know, know what games are worth, you know, being like, all right, yeah. Like, we threw on Real Housewives in New York City tonight with the blowout of the Giants-Cowboys game. Like, you just got to know at some point, you're like, I, I don't care anymore. Or, like, that that game's not that important. Got to just got to yeah, keep a, keep a, you know, clear mind here on these type of things. You know, that you can't just go day by day. You know, you everybody has a plan until they're punched in the mouth, as Mike Tyson once said. Uh, but you got you got to avoid that. So a little pro tip there. All right, this podcast has went on way too long. It's over an hour. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Um, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, make sure you leave a review if you feel so kindly. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, we're going to go over uh, overreactions uh, from the Packers. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers' first game. Uh, we're going to talk about Bruce and, and uh, the Marlins in game one, two, and whatever else comes through the hopper. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great Monday. Enjoy your victory Monday. And we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.